Hey. Well, that was a good service. Thank you for coming. Amen. <laughs> but I'll drag it on a little bit longer. Um, uh, let's pray some more. I just like praying. So, Lord, we just, we just love your presence, and we ask that your words would come forth. That your words would come forth, God. That your words would come forth. We don't, we don't want anything that's not of you this morning. We just thank you for the purity of worship, the devotion of, of praise that was just given this morning, God. And it's autumn, is that right? I just, um, the Lord loves the artist in you. Um, and I don't know if you used to paint or if you still do or if you like have, I just feel like there's this grace to paint. And I feel like there's, because I just feel like you see in full color and you dream in full color. And the Lord says, I just, I want you to just to, I feel like it's a season of just going back to your roots. It's just a season of roots, like going, like uh, it says, it says in Jeremiah to find the ancient paths and walk on them. And I just feel like that's, that's where he's taking you. He's taking you back to just some stuff that feels like you're going to move backwards, but you're not moving backwards. It's actually forward momentum. It's like the Lord putting you inside of a, a bow to shoot out an arrow. But in, before it can be shot, it has to be drawn backwards. And I just feel like you're an arrow in the hand of your father. And, um, but I, I really do feel like there's just this painting, like this, um, this grace on you to paint. I don't know if that's something you do or whatever, but I just, I just see like it's about color. It's about storytelling for you. And do you write songs right now? Yeah. Don't, um, don't wait for the right opportunity to record them. Just, just put them in GarageBand and put them on the Internet. I think everybody always waits too long, and they miss their moment because they're waiting for the right opportunity. And songs are about moments. They're not about recordings. They're, like, marked for moments. So if you miss the moment of the song, then you... You end up missing, you miss the opportunity, you know. And I just feel like the Lord says now is the right season, but don't wait. Like, just put it down. And then, the, like, if we're faithful with fishes and loaves, he feeds the multitudes, you know. And so we got to give him the little bit that we have. And I feel like you have a little bit in your hand, and the Lord says use it, you know. So, but Lord, we just we just thank you for devotion of praise. We thank you for worship in this house, and we we thank you for Chris, and I just ask that you take him into the depths of your heart in Jesus' name. I just feel like it's a season of depth. God says, I, I feel like the Lord says, scratch out your calendar. Give me your calendar. I feel like it's, you can keep yourself really busy, and the Lord says, if you give me your calendar, I'll give you my heart. And it's, it's not about meetings in this season. It's just not about meetings for you. It's not about trying to build something for you. You're a builder. You want to try to do stuff. You want to try to get stuff done. And the Lord says, that's not, it's not the season. It's the season for plowing ground and tilling soil, not for planting seeds. It's just a chance to till the soil of your heart. It's an, you went through, I feel like the Lord says, you went through a wave of that before, but it's a whole nother season. It's a whole nother season. And it's not any rebuke or not any, it's a, again, it's not a backwards movement. It's, it's literally him saying, I want to take you to places you've never been before. And it's just time to go really, really, really deep. But, the most important word for you in this season is going to be no. 
Like you have lots of opportunity, but the Lord says the greatest, what I'll touch in this season is when you say no. When you learn to say no, I'll learn how, I'll, I'll show you what my yes looks like. And so, Lord, we just ask for courage to, to say the word no and to say it with such force and such power and such authority that your yes invades Chris's no. Huh. It doesn't make any sense, but awesome. Awesome. I feel like in a lot of ways I'm the most repetitive, boring person on the planet in terms of I, I really like, I want to carry one message for the rest of my life. Like I don't want to care. I don't feel like I want to be blown around by everything that's cool and hip. Like I just want to talk about God. And I just, I want people to fall in love with Jesus. Like not, not, I feel like so many of us have fallen in love with church, but not Jesus. Because we think they're the same thing. Ministry is not the same as calling. (laughs) Ministry is not the same thing as Jesus. And showing up to church is not the same thing as a relationship with God. Like, this doesn't win you any points. Like, you're not going to get to heaven, like, you're not going to get to heaven and, he, and Jesus is going to look at you and go, well, I really wanted to let you in, but you missed out on your community group, so hell. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were really close, though. You made it to a lot of events, and I really appreciate it, but you missed it by one community group. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, we've made it. This is not the same thing. I tell people, if you want me to be really honest, ministry is a whore. (laughs) I don't know if I could put it any plainer than that. She will convince you you have intimacy that you do not have. She will convince you to give time that you do not have. So by the end of your life, you'll have the impression of love, the impression of depth, the impression of intimacy, but you'll be left waiting and wanting. Wake up. Church. Us. Me. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. <laughs> like, I don't preach to you. If, you. if you feel like, man, that guy is pretty aggressive. It's really just me talking to me. I'm really hard on myself because this is what I want. Not in like some, I'm going to beat myself up way. But in the sense that like, I feel like God is asking for a lot from us. And most of us are giving him about 10% and calling it, calling it church and calling it a relationship. I, this is the way I feel like most of us view it. I feel like most of us... Like, like it's, it's, it really is a bridegroom coming for a bride. Like, it really is a husband coming to unite with a bride. The difference is, is that we view, most of us view this whole thing like, it's like we showed up to the wedding, we prayed the prayer. <laughs> so, I deserve, so now I'm married, I'm in. I get to go to heaven. I prayed the prayer, I'm in. The problem is, that's not what real salvation looks like. Real marriage doesn't look like a wedding. It looks like every single day. It's like some of us, our salvation looks like we showed up to the marriage, we showed up to the wedding, we threw the big party, everybody clapped, we wore the white dress, we wore the tuxedo, we said, we repeated the vows, and then we went home and slept around and wondered why our spouse was so frustrated. Why are you so frustrated? I said I'd come home to you. Why are you so mad? I said till death do us part. It's not like I'm asking you for a divorce, I'm just going to sleep around. What is the big deal? I prayed the prayer, Jesus. What does it matter if I go and watch movies that hate you and I listen to music that degrades you? What does it matter? What is the big deal? 
It's just a little bit of soft porn on the TV show that everybody else is watching and talking about, and I don't want to not fit in. What's the problem? Why are you... God, you're so religious. No, He's holy. Oh, you're so religious. You're asking me to stop doing X, Y, Z. Yeah, I totally do. Yes, there are certain things you're not allowed to watch, and there are certain things you're not allowed to listen to. Sorry, that's a bummer for you. If you love the world so much, then go get it. It's right out the door. If you want the kingdom, you got to cut some stuff off. Oh, bro, but it's just a little bit. I love it. You ever met, you ever heard of the ramp uh, with a woman named Karen Wheaton? She's one of my favorite people on the planet. She's the real deal. I just tell you 100%, that woman is real day in, day out. We spent a lot of time with her, and I... If you are a woman and a leader, you should hang out with Karen Wheaton. That's just, for me, I don't know if I've met another leader like Karen who's apostolic, like in nature, like a builder, planter, wanting to grow, and like a mom, you know? And it's just, she's ridiculous. She's amazing. If you haven't been to the ramp, it's in, the, it's in a little city that I own called Hamilton, Alabama. I said, you should make me your king. <laughs> they didn't think that was as funny as I did, but... But she basically, she said this. She said, everybody wants to talk about a little bit of compromise. I went and watched the movie, but you just had to ignore this part. Or, I love this kind of music, but I, you have to kind of just, I weed through this. You know. And she said, I thought that was so great. So I went home, and I was going to preach the next week, so I made some brownies for everybody. But before I finished the brownies, I took, went out into my yard and took a little spoonful of dog poop and put it right in the batter and then mixed it all up and made some brownies. All the right flour, all the right chocolate, all the right ingredients, and I took it to youth group. And I said, I've made, and I sat them right next to me, and I sat in that chair, and I said, I've made brownies for everyone tonight. My homemade brownies, and everybody knew her brownies. She's from the South, so it's like brownies. You know what I mean? They ain't like, they ain't like bought in a box brownies. These are brownies, you know? And so she preaches, and she says, I want to talk about compromise. I want to talk about holiness. I want to, and she just hit this thing. It's just on it. Then she hands out the brownies and said, don't put them in your mouth. Nobody eat these brownies. And there's kids doing this. Not so funny in a few minutes. You know what I mean? It's like, and she said, I want to let you know these are my brownies. I made them from home. They are amazing, but there is something you need to know about these brownies before you put them in your mouth. Just before I finished the batter, I put just a little bit of dog poop in it. But it's okay. It's just a little bit. So go ahead and eat them. Kids lost their minds, I guess. They just, like, freaked out. There were some kids that were in her youth group at that time, and they said, dude, it was like, they didn't know what to do. They lost their minds. And, and she says, the problem is we literally believe if it's just a little bit of sin, it's okay. But we don't understand that just a little bit of compromise actually affects the whole vessel. And we have to wake up to the fact, that, look, I'm not trying to be religious, but we keep saying that everything's permissible and forget the fact that we're supposed to be set apart. We want to look like Jesus, but have the world too. Wrong. It doesn't work like that. Jesus was not influential because he looked like the world. He was influential and changed the world with 12 people because nobody had ever seen anything like him before. Somebody said a stand. The reason that we're hit, the reason that people view us as hip, well, we don't want to be like that because, because people don't like that. No, no, what they don't like is hypocrites. What they don't like is a bunch of people who preach the message and live nothing like it. That's what they hate. That's what they're sick and tired of. They're not worried about people setting a standard. They're worried, they are bummed out by a bunch of people setting a standard and they're not living by it. 
Vegas doesn't need more secret Christians. It needs real Christians that don't have compromise back here. Does that make sense? It needs to be a radical devotion set apart from the world so the world goes, I see them over there and I have to have what they have. By the way, that doesn't happen in 10 minutes or in one service. It happens over a lifetime. Jesus is setting you up for 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the Lord. Not a good meeting. Revival doesn't look like a good meeting. Revival looks like a life lived out over 50 years without compromise. That's what revival looks like. A marriage that lasts 50 years is more revival than a good meeting that lasts five hours. I don't care how many signs and wonders you see. Let's clap for them, celebrate them, cheer them on. I love it. But they are not proof of a life lived in God because there are many who will come to him saying, did we not heal the sick? Did we not raise the dead? Did we not preach the gospel? And he'll say, depart from me. I do not know you. Signs and wonders are not permission to be on a platform. We are celebrating men and women of God whose lives look like hell because we're way more interested in the sign than the one who gave the sign. Than the one who it's pointing to. And we say we're not, but yet we keep inviting them to conferences. I would rather have someone whose life and marriage is amazing, but they have no big platform, speak to my friends, and someone who has this huge platform, but their life's just a little in compromise. Like, that's who we want to spend our time with. That's who me and my family want to spend our time with. Your platform does not impress me anymore because I've met way too many people who have platforms that I just don't really like hanging out with. But then I've met a few gems, though, too. (laughs) Does that make sense? The world doesn't need more people. Look at who God chose through the Bible. Have you ever just thought, like, what does influence look like to God? Like, let's just take a little look. You know? Oh, Abraham. Yeah, that worked out well. He decided to to sleep with his servant to make sure the promise of God was fulfilled because God gave the promise, but he pretty much thought he had to take care of it on his own. Which, by the way, gave birth to Islam, in case you missed that. You understand that? His little oops. So that's how that went down. There's Abraham. By the way, that's the father of your faith. Oh, don't worry, but we're, don't worry, but we're in a new phase. We're going to build the tabernacle of David, an adulterer. <laughs> Praise Jesus, the man after God's own heart. <laughs> and then we'll choose Daniel, who like, the, the cool part is, is look at this. This is the cool stuff about who God chooses. God is not looking for the best and the brightest. He's just looking some, he looks in here. He's looking in here. See, the thing about David wasn't that he would, he, see, the thing is, is you just heard me say, like, look, if I'd rather have somebody whose, whose marriage is all together than someone who's got a big platform. David jacked up his own marriage, but here's what's awesome about a man after God's own heart. He didn't hide it, and he just literally said, yep, I screwed up. It's really, I'm, I, I'm, I did it. After he was called out, it was like, yeah, I did that, and he just took full, like, credit for it. And here's, what, here's how you know. Here's how you know something supernatural happened. It never came up again in his life. That's called real repentance. Saying I'm sorry is not the same as repentance. Repentance means I do not ever do it again. It is no longer a part of me. I don't go that way anymore. I'm sorry means... 
please let me back in. I just want it to be totally superficial so I have a position with you still. I don't care about your I'm sorry. Show me a lifestyle that changes. That's why David fell into sin, gets called out and goes, oh, I can't really hide that, but I really love God. So he goes into fasting and prayer. God still takes his child. He's up, and then, dude, his, dude, the prophet is totally offended because the next time he comes into the room, David's, like, feasting. And he's like, what in the heck is your deal? And, God, and David was like, I prayed. God answered. He said, no. What else do you want me to do? I'm going to worship God. Like Job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. He's awesome. And then let's just see, like, Esther. You know, Esther was a woman who was sex trafficked. I don't know. We've glamorized that story so awkwardly, it's ridiculous. We're like, oh, Esther, you've you got an Esther anointing on your life. You're such a princess. Well, I'm sorry. I'm really confused. She was sex trafficked. Do you understand that? She was a woman out there who was beautiful. The king got rid of his wife because she decided to speak her mind, got rid of her, went, went into the city and just took whoever he wanted. Esther happened to be the most beautiful. He didn't realize it was because of the anointing of God on her life, but she was beautiful because do you know what, what, what makes a person really beautiful? You want to be beautiful? Get the anointing. The anointing is what makes you attractive to the world. Your looks have nothing to do with beauty. Oh, the world superficially has an idea of what they'd like to see, but real beauty, when you get the anointing on you, it's like everyone's attracted to you. So she has the anointing on her life. We have no idea what she really looked like. All I know is she was favored by the king. The king says, that's the woman for me. She basically got sex trafficked and bought into the deal. Right? She was picked off the street. She did not want to be king. She did not want to be queen. She was trying to get out of the deal, right? So much so that her uncle goes, Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Let's just, I'll give you the New International Jake version. Perhaps you were sex trafficked for such a time as this. Oh, and you think your circumstance is bad. What if God's about to make you a queen? Stop worrying about the circumstance and realize that there's something more that could be happening. But this is the kind of people God chooses. Influence does not look like you think. Sometimes you get sex trafficked and sold into influence. Daniel's another example of that, correct? Daniel was in bondage, in slavery, and in exile. He gets chosen out of his crew, brings him in, and then he goes like, they go like this. Okay, now you're going to eat this food, and you're going to learn this stuff. And he goes, I'm not going to eat your food. I'm not going to learn that stuff. And I'm going to be ten times stronger and ten times smarter than everybody you put me around. Could you imagine a kid getting a full-ride scholarship to a school? They go to it, and the, the you know, the... Uh, Big head honcho of the school is like, well, okay, we're going to read. You're going to study these books. You're going to go on this path, and you're going to do this, da-da-da-da. And he goes, no, actually, I'm not going to do my homework. I'm not going to pay attention to anything you say in class, and I'm going to be smarter and stronger than everybody in the class. Thank you for my full-ride scholarship. (laughs) Do you understand? This is how God does influence. When God needed somebody to write the New Testament, he chose a guy who murders Christians. Correct? This is who God's using. This is who God is choosing. He's not looking for this huge, glamorous thing. He's looking for somebody who wants Him. In fact, I mean, we could really make it, we could make it worse. The list gets worse, but this is just, this part is fun. I love it. In 1 Corinthians, he says, For consider 
your calling. Brothers, not many of you were wise. This is awesome. This is like the encouragement of Paul. Remember when you were called. Not many of you had an education. That's what wisdom was, the, the wise is actually translated. Education. Not many of you had an education according to worldly standards. And not many of you were powerful, which has to do with money. So basically, none of you had an education and none of you had any money. Not many of you were of noble birth, which means you had no position, which was really important in, in sort of Eastern culture. How you were born, what family you were born into, where you were born said a lot about who you'd become and who you were. And he says, not many of you had a, a birthright, but God chose, this is where it gets awesome, but God chose the foolish. The word there in the Greek is literally is morar. Where do you think that word led to? Moron. Literally, Paul says, God chose the morons of the world to shame the wise. He chose the things that are not. He chose the things that are low, which literally means you had no family. They abandoned you. He said, I chose the abandoned and the, I chose the moronic abandoned people of the planet to be my ambassadors of the kingdom. This is who he's looking for. He says, why? So that no human being could boast in the presence of God. That's why. Why? He doesn't want the smartest and the best and the brightest. He just wants to, do you ever wonder, look, this is where I'm going with this. I, I just feel like, there is a generation that's rising up that doesn't know God but pretends like they do, so they have really good meetings but no, nothing behind there to back it up. They have no lifestyle but really good meetings because we know how to do really good meetings but don't know how to live it out practically. Then we try to be smarter and better at all of our instruments, at all of our talents, at all of our abilities than everything else, thinking that that will earn us the approval of the world so that they'll pay attention to our message and hopefully give their lives to God. And God says in the word from beginning to end, give me the people who have a yes on their hearts, no matter how broken, jacked up, and lost they are. That's who I am looking for. I want the weakest ones in the bunch to just stand up in their weakness and say, I love God. That's what I'm looking for. Because I'll touch their yes before I'll touch somebody else's diploma. He's crazy like that. That's what's awesome about your God. That's what's awesome about you here in this room. This isn't about who's on stage or who's not on stage or if you're in the back of the room or it's your first time or it's your 5,000th time. It is irrelevant to God. You could have gotten saved yesterday and you can preach today. That's how awesome it is. In fact, if you read Luke, which is just awesome, this is fun too, Luke, if you read the book of Luke, it's Jesus sends out the 12, correct? Jesus calls, the, God, Jesus calls the disciples, and then he sends them out, right? And then all of a sudden, this is my favorite part, Jesus sends out the 12. Jesus sends them out. What does he tell them to do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Here's what's awesome about Jesus doing that in chapter 9 of Luke. He hasn't healed the sick, raised the dead, or cleansed the lepers yet. He's saying, go do something I haven't showed you how to do yet, because you know me, and you know what I do, so go do it. We don't need training schools on healing because then we'll try to make a program out of something that Jesus actually did by presence. Well, bro, you're supposed to pray for every person on the street. No, that should be your, that, if that's your calling, if that's what the Lord told you to do, awesome. It's not what Jesus did. Remember the man at the gate called Beautiful? 
that Peter prayed for? How long did it say he was sitting there? 40 years. 30 or 40 years, right? Uh, do you know that Jesus spent the last four years of his life walking in and out of that, temp- out of that gate? Peter's going to get you, man. It's gonna be... And he walked by him every single day. Why didn't he pray for him? Why did he go to the pool of Bethesda and only pray for one dude where that was the gathering place for all the sick? We'd have our healing meetings there. Jesus said, there's one guy that's really actually supposed to get healed. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus was dependent on the voice of God and we're dependent on a program. You can only be presence-driven or program-driven. You can't be both. Jesus heals three blind people, does every single one different because he wants you dependent on what God is saying in the moment and not on the five steps for healing. There is no five steps. There is no 12 steps. There is no 20 steps. There is no school. The school is go listen to God. The school is the knowledge of God. That is what we are missing. That is why there is sin in the church. That is why there is brokenness all over the planet. Not because we need better discipleship. Not because we need better uh, deliverance ministries. Not because we need better prayer ministries. But we need God. We don't know God. It's why the divorce rate in the church is greater than outside of the church. Because we don't know God. We don't need better marriage counseling. We need God. We don't know who he is, what he does, what he loves, what he hates. So we spend all of our time talking topically about a God who never spoke topically. Your Bible is not a topical answer book. The Bible doesn't preach on marriage. The Bible preaches on God. Marriage happens to be a part of that. And we end up going, let's do a series on marriage. And God says, let's do a series on me and I'll heal every marriage in the room. We're missing out on the greatest part of Christianity, getting to know God. We're sacrificing the knowledge of God for signs and wonders and why we're not seeing the same signs and wonders that are in the Bible. And there are going to be people who go to hell who are doing signs and wonders and that is in your Bible. There are going to be people who come up and prophesy great mysteries into your heart and because they don't know God, they'll still end up in hell. But they'll go convinced that they have a relationship. That's the scary part to me. The scary part isn't just that they're going. The scary part is that God allows them to continue in their gifts because the gifts of God are irrevocable. Well, why does God? Dude, they must be still, they still must be, uh, the presence of God must still be on them because they're moving in signs and wonders. No, signs and wonders are not a proof. I love it. Jesus sends out the 12 and what's the first person that comes back is a dude walks up to him and says, hey, your disciples, uh, Prayed for my son and it didn't work. And Jesus is like, you got to know that the disciples were like hanging out and being like, oh, it was Judas prayed for him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was, that was Judas. So this is what happens in between the sending out of the 12 and the sending out of the 72. It's like insanity to me because you have somebody who didn't get healed by the disciples. They're arguing over who's the best and who's the greatest. And then they're arguing over some other topics. And Jesus goes, that must have totally worked. Let's send out 72 this time. I'm sorry, what? 
But here's the part that we're missing. They were in a rabbinic system in a Jewish culture that taught about God from the time they were born. And you have to take that into account because they had an understanding of God. By the time they were five, they had the entire Torah memorized. The first five books of the Bible. I was on an airplane and a little kid read. A whole Jewish family came in and the kid read off my wrist. He read. He said, oh, dad, that's Chaya, yeah. And I said, I said, awesome. And I said, okay, take out this one. He said, oh, Yahweh. And then just like, we talked for a second and I said, I have a question for you. Could you recite the entire book of Deuteronomy to me right now? And the little boy said, yes. He was eight. Your savior was a Jew. If you think Israel is not your issue, you better wake up. Israel is your issue. No, that's a political issue. That's a land issue. No, that is a God issue. God could have chosen any people in any of history, in any of time, anywhere on the planet, and he chose the Jewish people. And they, look, you got grafted in, but they are not forgotten. If you're not praying for Israel on a consistent basis, wake up. If you've been in the church long enough to know that your Savior was a Jew, you need to be praying for Israel on a regular basis. Your Savior is Jewish. And those Jewish people, those are your brothers and sisters. And the thing about the Jewish system is they grew up in the context of get to know God. Nothing was weird for them. They talked about sex from the time they were a young age. We let the world tell our kids about sex. Because, we, well, we don't want to talk about it, don't want to make it weird. No, the devil made it weird. God invented sex. The devil made it, the devil made it weird so that we wouldn't talk about it so that the world could get to our kids first. So much of this is about a generation who just get, needs to get to know God again. Forget about all of our programs and all of our stuff. Like, let's just get to know God. Not, don't wait for Sunday. <laughs> you're not some, well, you're not going to get to heaven and go, well, you know, I really, I, I really wanted to know more about you. But Zach never preached on that part. <laughs> and he said, and he's going to look at you and go, you have the same Bible. It was your responsibility. See, we think pastors' roles, let me just save you a lot of time. We think pastors' roles are to feed the sheep. And when we see feed the sheep, when we hear feed the sheep, we think it's Zach's responsibility to spoon feed you. Look, look, we think that a a shepherd, a good shepherd, walks into a field, grabs grass out of the ground, shoves it in the sheep's mouth, helps him chew, strokes his throat until he swallows, rubs his belly until it comes out on the other side. No, what a good shepherd does is say, here's a green field. Eat if you want, die if you don't. But my, your health is not dependent on whether or not I feed you. I literally just provide the field. I provided a safe place for you to get to know God. I provided a safe place for you to come into relationship, to get to know the God who created you. My job is not, his job is not to meet with every single one of you. Don't, don't do not call this man and ask him for a meeting because he should tell you no because he should be meeting with God. He is, it is not his responsibility to meet with you. When, he call, when you call him, he should tell you, go meet with God. He has a better answer than me. It is not the pastor's job. I don't care what church you're at. It is not a a pastor's job to meet with everybody in this room. It does not say that Jesus met with everybody who showed up to the meetings. 
In fact, what he did was 5,000 people showed up because he fed 5,000. They showed up and invaded his quiet time. And he gets up and he's got a really good message. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, we ain't that hungry. And they all left. They all left. And he didn't chase them down and try to have meetings with each one of them to explain it. He turns around to his disciples and they say, and he says, you're going to leave me too? Peter speaks up because he's just that guy. He speaks up and he says, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he says, good, let's keep going. He doesn't even explain it to the ones who are closest to him. I mean, this is the way he does it. And we're like trying to make sure everybody has the answers and feels comfortable. Your comfort is not God's priority. We switch churches because we're uncomfortable. What, do you understand that there was, a, there was a time when the church down, there was no church down on the other corner that you could go to if you decide not to like this one? Like you were stuck. You didn't have a car. You didn't have the ability. You are stuck. Guess what you have to do? Real relationship. <gasps> you mean I have to work it out? I can't just go disappear in the church of 5,000 down the street? But I just didn't like the music there. Who cares? what are you going to do? Church hop until you find a good musician? Ooh. They're more anointed because they know how to play better or they have a better sound system or more comfy chairs or a more convenient parking lot? Wake up. Christianity is not about your comfort. God is not about, he is not as concerned with our comfort as you think he is. You want proof? The underground church overseas is growing way faster than the church of America, and we've got everything we think we need. But we are actually the church of Laodicea, naked, poor, wretched, and blind. And we say we have need of nothing, but we have nothing. We have no substance, but lots of good theology. I'll end with this thought. I'll end with this. The story of Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary um, were sisters, had a brother named Lazarus. Um, if, you, if, you read the Bible, if you read Scripture, you'll find that the only city that Jesus was ever invited into was the city um, of Bethany. That the only city that he was invited into was Bethany. He went to a lot of cities, but the one he was invited to was he was invited to Bethany by a woman named Martha. Martha runs up to him and says, come into my house. And the good news is she had enough sense to go, come into my house. Come stay with us. So Jesus goes, I like that. Let's do it. So he goes and stays at their house and shows up. And then we run into Mary and Martha. But there's a very different situation that's happening here. Jesus is in the room. Jesus actually showed up. And Martha's in the kitchen. And Mary is at his feet. See, lots of us have the sense to invite Jesus. But when he shows up, we're really just too busy for him. And see, what most of us do is we go, oh, I'm just in a Martha season. I'm just in a busy season. Can I tell you, no, church, there is no Martha season. If you're in a Martha season, you better get out because Martha shows up twice and gets rebuked by Jesus both times. So if you want to get rebuked, then stay in your Martha season. But then we have Mary who's at the feet of Jesus. Mary is at the feet of Jesus, and it says this. She's not asking him questions, which I think is the most beautiful part. It says Jesus was at the feet, Mary was at the feet of Jesus listening to every word that came out of his mouth. 
You want to know what happens when God shows up? Shut up. That's the, most, that's the wisest thing you could do. If God shows up into the room, shut your mouth. Don't try to sing another chorus. Don't try to preach another sermon. Don't try to lay hands on people. Let God do something. So Mary is at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word that's coming out of his mouth. Martha comes out of the kitchen. She is ticked off because she is working her butt off. Ever been that person? Amen, glory, hallelujah. You walk out of the room and see somebody laying there having an encounter, and you're like, hey, look, a great time for your encounter. I've got work to do. Get up. Martha comes out of the kitchen and looks. I love it because it's like dad, like that whole mentality of like, dad, make her help me. And she walks out of the kitchen and goes, Jesus, tell her to come help me. And Jesus responds with two things. Number one, she has found the one good thing. Not one of many. Not there's a bunch of good things. Don't, no, 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 Martha, you don't understand. You're in a Martha season. She's in a Mary season. Peter's in a Peter season. Don't ever fall into a Judas season. We'll all be okay. You know? It's like, oh, we're all in, no, we're in different. No, it's a season, brother. Don't, under, don't worry about it. It's a season. No, he says, listen, she's actually found the thing that matters. There is nothing else that matters according to Jesus. There's a lot happening in that room, and Jesus says, this is the only thing that matters. If you don't like it from Jesus' mouth, maybe you'll like it from David's mouth. One thing I ask, one thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To do what? To do ministry? To gaze upon his beauty. That's the end result. The end result of a one-thing lifestyle is to be so captivated by who he is, not by who we are, not by our gifts and talents, abilities, but we are captivated, enraptured, caught up in his beauty, not ours. And he goes, she's found the one thing that really matters. That's it. This is it. This is the one thing. And then he follows it up by saying, and it will not be taken from her. (laughs) Anybody want God to defend you? then shut up and get at his feet. If you want him to be your... This is the way I look at it. It's like um, years ago, a pastor friend of ours said it this way, but it's really like, you ever seen those big trampolines? You ever seen those? Where is the smartest place to jump? In the center or near the springs? See... It's like, I don't understand, but like, it's, it's like in our life, we're like, let's, we end up playing this game with God, like how far to the edge am I allowed to go? We don't want to know how holy we can be. We want to know what the limit and the boundary is. So that way we can bounce right near the springs and bounce off into the concrete or let our leg go through the springs. And God says, no, no, I actually want you to be safe. Get in the center. This is the safest place. You can still have fun. We could do it together. But it's safe in the center. We think God is holding out on us because he's telling us not to do things. I can tell you right now, there's three steps to ending. Ending abortion on the planet. Ending AIDS. Ending every STD. Emptying every foster care system and every orphanage on the planet. And we don't even have to vote on it. There's no votes. We don't need a president. We don't need a congressman. We don't need nothing. We need three steps. Don't have sex till you're married. When you get married, stay married to one person for your entire life and teach your kids to do the same thing. You just ended abortion. You just ended most of AIDS on the planet because most of it's sexually transmitted. You ended every STD because there's no sex outside of marriage. You ended every, you emptied the foster care system and emptied the orphanage in one generation. It's all gone. Does that make, it's gone. It's off the planet. We, didn't need, we don't need to vote on it. We don't need like a, a Republican agenda. We, all we need is God, and we need to live within the boundaries he set for us. That's what we need. And Mary says, I found it. This is it. I got it at his feet. Now, here's how it plays out. 
Because you're like, oh, that's such a nice message. How does it play out? Lazarus dies. <laughs> Their brother dies. And they send for Jesus, and Jesus, like any good friend, shows up three days later. He shows up three days later. He shows up, he's walking up, and who greets him again as he's entering the town? Martha runs up to him and says, Lord, Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus answers her with the greatest response when you're praying for a dead friend. Surely he will rise again. At that point, you start the worship service, you start singing hallelujah, you start weeping, fall on your face. That's the answer you're looking for, right? No, she answers him with good theology. I know, in the end, he will rise again. We are watching God show up in our midst and we're busy trying to create a theology for what happened instead of going, he's here. He even gives her another chance. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. She still doesn't respond. So he says, go get your sister. How do we know that's what he said? Because the very next passage, it's, a, it's Martha running up to Mary and saying, the Lord is looking for you. Mary runs up and she says the exact same phrase Martha said because God wants you to see the difference between two hearts with two different positions asking the same question. She walks up to Mary and says, he walk, he, she walks up to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. What's the response? Jesus wept. That's his response. That's the shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. I have a question for you, church. Why did he not weep when, Mary, when Martha asked the same question? Because intimacy trumps good theology every time. Your proximity to his heart is what, de- what will determine the signs and the wonders that you see around you. Because what's the next line? Take me to the tomb. And God resurrects the dead and changes the game in one minute. It's the first time the dead's raised. In that, in he, first time he raises the dead. And literally that was the point of contention that led to him being crucified. Do you understand that? That moment was catalyzed by a woman who said nothing and sat at his feet. The issue is not we need, to, we need better deliverance. We need better discipline. We need better blah, 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 blah. No, what we need is intimacy with Jesus. That's what we need. That's all we need, like for real. The will of God is the same for everyone in this room, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know, but then what do we do? Not, that's, that's it. Don't make your calling the will of God for your life. Because your calling and the will of God are two totally different things. The will of God for your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, you may go and have an assignment, but don't make that your, the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. I know, but what do I do? No, do that really, really well. Then what? No, no, no. It will take you a lifetime to do that. But what do, I do in, what do I do while I'm learning? Just put one foot in front of the other and you'll end up in the right spot. From the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich, love the Lord your God with all your heart. All, it doesn't cost money. It's not about position. It's not about where you were born. It's about you choosing something better. 
Can we stand together real quick? I'm supposed to be over at a meeting in Summerlin. Praise Jesus. I think I might be a little late. But this is what I want to say. I want us to get a baptism of love. I just want us to have a baptism of love. I feel like that's what the Lord, like, in a lot of ways have told, have, have told us. Just, I, I just want us to pray. It was funny. I've been praying. I, I've been praying this prayer. Like, God, I, I, let's just stand up. We're just going to put our hands out. I want to get prayed for a baptism of love. And I thought I made it up. And I'm like, I don't really know where I've heard it. I just assumed it was God, like a baptism of love, you know? And, uh, and I, was, I was in Seattle, and this 80-year-old woman runs up to me in this little tiny church. I mean, there must have been 50 people there. And she runs up. And she says, when the first outpouring came in Toronto, when that outpouring happened in Toronto, I was sitting in Toronto and I was weeping before the Lord because I just loved, I just loved being in his presence and watching all the signs and the wonders and the gifts. But when I was weeping in the middle of the room, he, she said, this is the, he, the Lord told her, this is the beginning of the beginning. What will come next is not just a baptism of my spirit, but a ba- that comes with signs and wonders, but a baptism of my spirit that comes with a baptism of love. Love wins every time. Not some humanist version of like false grace. I'm talking about the love that comes from 1 Corinthians 13. That love trumps everything. And that's the kind of love he's talking about when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. All all the law and the prophets are wrapped up in this. Your entire Bible is wrapped up in one phrase. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Is that what he's getting from you today? Or are you doing this church thing and wondering why nothing's changing? I will tell you why nothing is changing. Because you are leaning into a program instead of his presence. Lean into his presence. Don't worry about the next service. Don't worry about the next meeting. Get into his presence and never leave. Like you can do that. You want to know the starting. You ready for the starting mark? You're like, this is great. I want to start. How do I start? This is how you start, okay? And I'm learning this myself. This is how you start. A grateful heart. In plenty or in poverty, in sickness and in health, a grateful heart. I'm not joking. This is the beginning. If you can, get, if you can cultivate a grateful heart, you will steward the presence of God more than 90% of your, of your community. All you start with is thankfulness. You stub your toe, praise Jesus, glory, hallelujah. And it's going to seem totally rigid and totally fake when you start. That's the point. It's that way with anything. Have you seen anybody try to learn an instrument? It's totally fake and ridiculous to watch. But it's real because it's a part of the process. Sure, it's going to seem fake and it's going to seem weird. But just do it and cultivate a grateful heart and you'll live in, you'll live in Psalm 95. Psalm 95 says, we enter his presence with thanksgiving. You want to enter his presence? Grateful heart. Just cultivate a grateful heart. Look at your bank account today. It's totally overdrawn. Praise God. Serious. I'm being totally, it sounds totally lame and I'm being silly. I'm not. Learn how to cultivate gratefulness. Oh, he'll, heaven, I just, heaven will draw close to you. And you'll begin a relationship with God that looks like nothing your peers have. That's why it says the road is narrow and few find it. He didn't say it's really easy, everybody come. He said the road's narrow. It's really narrow. And very few people find this road. But if you can find this road, you not only will change your life, 
with the lives of every single person you come in contact with. So Lord, we ask right now for a baptism of love to come on every single person in this room. We ask for an anointing in the room to begin to steward and pursue love in a brand new way. God, we recognize that today you love us more than we could ever love you. It's an impossibility to love you with the same way that you love us, but I want to spend the rest of my life giving it a shot. I want to spend the rest of my life trying to love you with the same intensity that you love me. I don't want to just love you and worship you when I get what I want. Our prayer life has become a refined bargaining. Our worship has become some sort of bargaining. If I learn how to worship or I learn how to be grateful, I'll get something out of it. God, we say we want to be grateful and we want to worship and we want to praise you and want to come to you because you in and of yourself are worthy. We want to worship you and give you praise because you are worthy. That's it. End of story. If I never get anything out of it ever again. I just want to say I love you. And I want your love to come reign over me so that I could love others the same way that you love me. I want to show others the same grace, the same kind of compassion, the same kind of tenderness that you've shown me. God, I ask in Jesus' name for an anointing to love the way that you love. The church, God, that we would learn to love the way that you love. First with you. Not first with others, first with you. First with you. We could love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. And God, I ask specifically this morning for a spirit of conviction to hit our hearts. Wherever our lives are in compromise, wherever we've let in just a little bit of sin, wherever we've let in just the little, what the Bible calls, the the little foxes, what the Bible calls the little foxes that ruin the whole vineyard, wherever the little foxes are, God, I pray that you would convict our hearts and show us where they are. Show us where they're hiding. Show us where there's these little white lies and these little compromises and these little stretching of the truth and these little false us that we have to kill. Show it to us today. I ask throughout the day, God, that you would give us open visions, that tonight you would give us dreams, that you would speak to us in new and unique ways in Jesus' name and show us how to burn this thing out of our lives so that all we're left with is you. Till everything's gone but you in Jesus' name. Amen.